We have a reading this morning, uh, a wonderful reading from Colossians chapter 1. Uh, it's one of my favourite passages, I think, in the Bible. Uh, very many favourite passages, but uh, this is one that uh, really gives me a tingle whenever I read it or hear it read. Colossians chapter 1, uh, reading from verse 15 through to uh, verse 23. And it's up on the screen there if you haven't got a Bible or some implement for, for reading it with you. Colossians chapter 1, entitled in my Bible, The Supremacy of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. May God bless the public reading of his words. So, morning everybody. How are we doing? How are we doing? Are we okay? Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. So, so good to be with you as always. Lovely to see your real life fleshy faces rather than just an empty room and a single camera lens. I uh, can't tell you how good that feels. Um, listen, if we haven't met before, let me briefly introduce myself. My name's Pete uh, and I'm part of the team known as Pete and Beth. Many of you will know Beth as one of the young people here uh, not so long ago, um, but always uh, good for us. Uh, to get the chance to come and be with you, have the opportunity to speak, and uh, thank you very much, as always, for the lovely warm welcome we always get. So let me extend that warm welcome to you, whether you're here in the building or watching online. Um, it's lovely to have you involved this morning and watching along with us. You are really, really welcome. So uh, this week, I've been kind of thinking a little bit and praying through what to bring in terms of a message this morning. Had a little look in the old calendar and saw that today is Halloween. And I thought to myself, oh, don't really know what to do with that. <laughs> don't really know what to do with that. Do I acknowledge that and do a talk around kind of spiritual reality, spiritual warfare? Do I kind of ignore that? Because it can be a contentious thing in the church. Some people don't like it. Um, so do I ignore that? Uh, or do I completely avoid it and risk it being an elephant in the room? So I had a little pray through that. Sort of said, Lord, what's the drill here? Always a little bit tricky if you're a visiting speaker as well. Um, but just praying through that, I, I think what God really put in my heart is that actually it doesn't matter. It kind of doesn't matter because for me, I'm, I'm a real kind of bottom line kind of guy. Uh, and it's, it's tricky in our marriage because Beth's a real details gal. 
And I hate details. I'm a bottom line guy, and, and she's a real details gal. And so um, we have to give each other lots of grace in that way. But for me, I'm a bottom line sort of chap. And ultimately, for me, the bottom line here is that Christ is just so much better. And so in a sense, it doesn't matter if I acknowledge Halloween and talk into that or whether I avoid it completely and, and say, well, who cares? Um, because actually the bottom line is that Christ is just so much better. He's just so much better. And, you know, I, I kind of hope that makes sense. I kind of hope that makes sense to you. That ultimately I could speak into that subject or I could avoid it completely. But ultimately the bottom line, the end result is the same thing. Christ is just so much better. And as I was thinking about it, I remembered a talk I gave a few years back called The Supremacy of the Son of God. And I thought, that's what I want to talk about. That's what I want to talk about this morning. I don't want to talk about ghosts and ghouls or devils and demons. I want to talk about the supremacy of the Son of God, the fact that Jesus is just so much better. So whilst the rest of the world spends today focusing on something gloomy, I want us to spend some time focusing on something glorious. So today we're not going to be fearful. We're not going to obsess about evil talk about what it can and can't do. We're not going to focus on the devil more than we're going to focus on Christ. We're going to talk straight into the bottom line, the supremacy of Christ. And we're going to remember that in him, darkness is beaten, the devil's crushed, and someday soon the evil and brokenness of our world will be a distant memory and nothing more for the children of God. So I'm excited this morning. And I get some criticism sometimes for, for not being very exuberant about my excitement. My face doesn't show how excited I am sometimes, but I am excited. And I'm excited because I want us to get out of the fast lane of life and, and just spend some time almost just stopping and staring, just going back to absolute basics, just stopping and staring at Christ, remembering how good he is, how good he is. And, and as part of that, I want to just be really honest and open with you this morning and say that um, for me, I'm going through a little bit of a frustrating season. Uh, and I'm feeling a little jaded by things. Um, but this talk has really blessed me this week. Just, just going through it and, and altering bits and changing things. Um, it's really blessed me this week. And, and I think the reason for that is that a part of my frustration lately has been dealing with complicated aspects of faith. And it's been doing my head in trying to learn and trying to think things through that I haven't thought about before. Um, but actually just coming back to basics, coming back to the basis of our faith and remembering how good Jesus is, how good his love is and how great his salvation is, has just done wonders for me. So for some of you, you might listen to this talk and you might think, yeah, I know that, yeah, I know that, yeah, I know that. And that's great. <laughs> great that you know that. But I want to encourage you, you know, because sometimes we get into the rhythm of doing 25, 35, whatever it is, minutes talks. And then we go through the week and we forget Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, oh, what was, I can't really remember what we spoke about. That can happen, and it's natural. But So I just want to encourage you this morning to, to really try and focus your thinking. And if, if, even if there's only one thing that you remember from this talk that you can carry with you into the week and be encouraged that the basics of our faith is not an idea or a concept or a thought, it's a person that is so good. So we're going we're gonna to focus in on that passage we've heard from Colossians 1 this morning and just go back to basics, remembering the supremacy of the Son of God and just how good he is. So let me lay you a little bit of context for Colossians as a letter. So it's written by the Apostle Paul uh, and it's written to the early church in Colossae. And one of his main goals in writing this letter is to warn the church against false teachers at that time. It's to uh, warn them against the 
false teachers who would seek to destruct or disturb the church with false ideas about who Jesus is. And so what's really cool about this is that, in a sense, this letter is just waxing lyrical about how Jesus is so good. And so it's a cool thing for us to kind of look in at this letter as Paul essentially writes a letter about who Jesus is and why it matters so much. One of the first things you'll notice about this is that it's a little bit of a lengthy passage. I, I like choosing a little bit of a lengthy passage. Um, but one of the results of that is we won't go through verse by verse. So I'm literally going to split the passage up into three sections. Hopefully there's a slide to uh, demonstrate that. But yeah, we'll split it up into three sections. And these sections are Jesus, image, and creator. Jesus, love, and redemption. And Jesus, a fresh start. So we'll head through uh, those sections one bit at a time and just unpack some of the key ideas from the passage. So let's start at verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So that, that first little line I want to pick out, the sun is the image of the invisible God. And on paper, you know, we, we have a tendency to maybe take that for granted a little bit. But this sentence is absolutely awesome. See, this is one of the strongest statements in the scriptures about the divine nature of Jesus. This statement is saying Jesus is not just like God. He's not just saying he has godly attributes or is a messenger or a prophet or anything like that. He's clearly asserting that Jesus is God. He's the exact representation. He not only reflects God, but he reveals God. And it's a funny thing because when I speak to a lot of non-Christians, I'll hear them say, if God was real, surely he'd just step into the world and show us. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he would. And that is exactly who Jesus is. But what's even more awesome than the fact that God came down here in the person of Jesus and showed us who he is, is that in doing so, he showed us exactly what he's like. Compassionate, merciful, gracious, just, kind, courageous, caring, faithful, truthful. Jesus not only displays these attributes, but shows us in doing so that he is supreme love. And some of you who will be a little bit more familiar with me and my story, you'll know that I didn't grow up around faith. Um, and you'll know that I didn't really have any desire to attach myself to a religious worldview or anything like that. Yet when I was challenged by a friend to read about the person of Jesus, I found myself saying, I'm still not interested in religious systems, but if God is like this guy, Jesus, then I guess I'm interested in God. If God is like this Jesus that meets the woman caught in adultery and showed her such merciful compassion, in the midst of many accusers who wanted her stoned. If God is like this Jesus who incurred the anger of religious leaders for healing on the Sabbath, but continued that work because it was the right thing to do. If God is like this Jesus who taught about justice and righteousness with such wisdom and authority, yet would always incline his ear to the prayer of the underdog. If Jesus is like this God who turns over the table of the moneylenders in the temple and drove out religious leaders for burdening the poor with hypocrisy and falsehood, yet taught widely amongst the poorest communities about God's love being an open door that was ready to receive them. If God is like this Jesus, this man of compassion and mercy, grace, justice, kindness, 
courage, care and faithfulness, this man of supreme love, then I guess I'm interested in God. And what a wonderful thing then to go through that process and realize that not only is Jesus like God, but Jesus is God. The bottom line, for a bottom line kind of guy, is that if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. As the passage says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. You know what's really cool about that is, and this has been kind of close to my heart for a while, is that there's a degree of beautiful simplicity to this that cuts through so much nonsense and cuts through so much red tape and people's kind of misconceptions and misapprehensions about Christian faith. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God. And so how do you apply that practically? Well, perhaps it looks something like this. For people who think that Christianity teaches intolerance towards certain people in society, for people who think that women aren't valued by a biblical worldview, for people who say, if you call yourself a Christian, that dictates which political party you must vote for, for people who think that Jesus never claimed to be God, or for those who think that God is a disengaged, far-off headmaster, angry, furious, Thor-like God who's just ready to hurl a lightning bolt at you if you displease him. All of these misconceptions about Jesus, Christianity, and the Bible, they're just easily broken up by this simple sentence. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Look at Jesus and you'll see that the God of the Bible is a God of compassion, mercy, grace, justice, kindness, courage, faithfulness, truth, and supreme love. And the other line I want to pick out from this first section is from verse 16, for in him all things were created. Because that's something I really believe, that God created all things. And as the end of the sentence says, that in him all things hold together. And, you know, it kind of makes me sad when I talk to Christians who say that they only ever read the Bible and nothing else. Now, don't get me wrong, and I know Rich is sitting right there. (laughs) Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying don't read the Bible, okay? Obviously, it's essential reading if we want to understand the world around us, we want to understand God's nature and character, and we want to understand the overarching story of our lives. You've got to read the Bible. What I am saying is that it strikes me as sad when people dismiss the world outside of the Bible as irrelevant when it comes to helping us understand something of God. Because the God I follow is not simply the God of the Bible and nothing else. He's the God of all creation. And I don't just see him when I open the Bible. I see his fingerprints, personality, character and nature in every aspect of the good creation around us. So for me, there's a sense if we only read the Bible and we don't bother to engage with learning about the world around us, we do God's creative genius a little bit of a disservice. And we miss out on some of the wonderful witness of the world around us. This passage says that God created all things, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In this letter, Paul is showing us this this sense that if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And when you do, you'll find he's a God of love, a creator who is before all things, and that in all things, Sorry, that's just not what it says. I just read that wrong. Stay in school, please. And when you do, you'll find he's a God of love, a creator. He's before all things, and in him, everything holds together. So let's move on to section two, Jesus, love, and redemption. And we pick up the passage in verse 18. It says this, 
And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And other Bible translations will use the word preeminence here instead of supremacy. But either way, the passage is really alluding to the idea of Jesus being of ultimate value and worth. The idea that he should take first place in our lives. And it's an idea that I think a lot of secular people struggle with, the sense that there should be uh, one who's of ultimate value and worth, of which everything else is oriented around. It strikes as a religious idea. Yet it's not really true because everybody worships something, whether they realize it or not. Everybody worships something. We all have something that takes or at least tries to take first place. And maybe it's a, a person, a, a partner or a child. Maybe it's a, a thing or a job uh, or a job we wish we had. Maybe it's a hobby or an interest or something more obviously sinister like an addiction or a fear. Yet we all have one thing that tries to sit in that seat. Sit in that, that seat of one who is most worthy. And Paul's kind of making the point here that whatever it is, it's sitting in Jesus' seat. And it can seem like a weird thing. You know, before I was a Christian, I came to faith around 21, but before I was a Christian, I'd look at things like this and I'd say, I don't like that. I don't like that. That seems uncomfortable to me. It seems like God's kind of this egomaniac or this, this thing that needs some attention. But the truth is, it's not like that at all. See, this is more like telling someone who's sick to prioritize taking their medicine. It's more like telling a small child not to run away from their parents who love and treasure them. It's more like telling someone who's exhausted and in desperate need of a break to get some rest. See, Paul's not telling us to make God the most important part of our lives because God's an egocentric madman who needs our attention. Paul's telling us to prioritize God because we were made to love God and be loved by him. Paul's not telling us to prioritize God because God needs it. He's telling us to prioritize God because we need it. And that brings us neatly into that final part. Jesus, a fresh start. Verse 19 says, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. And this passage here is uh, kind of a good summary of the gospel, really. It kind of sums up that human condition, the reality of people living their lives outside of relationship with Jesus. Like I say, it's, a gospel in a nutshell. it's the gospel in a nutshell. Once we were alienated from God because of our sins, and our wrongs. We were cut off from God and considered his enemies. And modern people don't understand this idea. They just think, well, you know, if God's real, I'm sure he'll just forgive me. I'm not that bad. But listen, we've all got stuff. 
we've all got stuff, and there's various different names for that stuff and that sin, but we've all got stuff. We need forgiveness for every single one of us. It doesn't help us to pretend that we don't. So here's the truth. Here's the truth. For those who are trusting in Jesus. And you know, I said earlier, if there's one thing, just even one thing, that you could remember from today and carry forwards into this week, that would be helpful in encouraging you in your faith. Well, I think for some of you it's going to be this. Whilst God has seen the worst of you, he does not see the worst in you. Let me repeat that. Whilst God has seen the worst of you, he doesn't see the worst in you. And for those of you who have put your faith in Jesus, he calls you son, he calls you daughter, he calls you child, he calls you beloved and forgiven, he calls you his own. This is the gospel, verse 22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Listen, Jesus, life with him is a fresh start. It's a new beginning. God has seen the worst of you, but through faith in Christ, he doesn't see the worst in you. And there's this wonderful little line in the New Testament, which I think sums up Jesus and the Christian life really well. And so if you're here in the building or if you're watching online or just hearing a snippet of this throughout the week on some other platform, just please hear this because I think this is a, a beautiful summary of what life with Jesus is like. And it comes from a story where Jesus is walking amongst a crowd and a woman who's badly afflicted in her health, she comes up behind him and she thinks to herself, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, if I could just touch the edge of his clothing, that would be enough. She's got crazy good faith. She's got so much faith. If I could just touch the edge of his clothing, that would be enough to heal me. And so she reaches out and she touches the hem of his garment. And Jesus turns around to the crowd and he says, who touched me? And the woman kneels down before him, trembling in fear, probably expecting an angry and public rebuke. And I think if she'd done that to any other religious leader, <laughs> then she probably would have got one. But instead of that, Jesus turns to her and says, daughter, daughter. What a beautiful way to start a sentence. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You want to understand Jesus better. You want to understand God better. This is who he is. He meets with the brokenhearted. He meets with the unknown, the sick, the underdog. Anyone who would humble themselves and say, God, I'm a sinner over here. And I need some help. And he offers them himself. For those who are believing and trusting in him, he says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And I've spoken so far today about the supremacy and to some degree the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. But I want to finish by talking about the supremacy and the uniqueness of Christian faith. See, two of the world's biggest questions that people ever ask is, where do I come from and why am I here? Two massive questions. We should all be asking those. Well, under a biblical worldview, under a Christian understanding, you can answer both of those questions with the word love. But I think that is the only worldview where you can do that. So let me explain. Under Christianity, we believe that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so before the world began, something else existed. 
is a perfect community of love. The Father loving his Son in the joy of the Holy Spirit. And he is the one who has created us. So in a very real sense, we come from love. And as you read the Bible, and as you get familiar with the person and the words of Jesus, you see very clearly that we were made to know and love God. And so you can say we are made for love. And so under Christianity, you can say we are both made from love and for love. But you cannot do that with any other worldview. Under atheism, you're made from nothing and for nothing. Under karma, you're made from chance for no particular reason. Under Islam, you're made from necessity for submission. I say that because Islam is a single person God, so he couldn't have been all loving because there was no one to love. So you're needed for him to be all loving. And the word Islam literally means submission. And even if you make it to paradise under that system, which you can't, but even if you did, the Quran actually teaches he's not there. So it's not relational, it's religious. Under agnosticism, we're not sure where we come from and we have no idea what we're doing here. Listen, we all understand, no matter our backgrounds or beliefs, we all understand that the highest ethic on earth is to love. But for me, Christianity is the only worldview that offers love as a possible answer to two of the world's most important questions. Where do I come from and why am I here? With Jesus, the answer is love. I don't think you'll find that anywhere else. So I want to invite you today, wherever you're watching from, I want to invite you to ask those two questions. And if the answers that you find aren't love, then I want to invite you to look at Jesus. And I think that you will find that we come from love and we are here for love. I want to invite you to take a look at Jesus for yourself. Don't worry about what you've heard in the mainstream media or what so-and-so told you. Look for you, not for anybody else. Look for you. And I hope and pray and believe that you will find that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the one who is before all things, in whom all things hold together and the one who offers reconciliation and friendship with God through his sacrifice so that you could be holy without blemish and free from accusation. He's image and creator, love and redemption, and a fresh start for any person who desires one. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that in you, we can answer the questions, where do we come from and why are we here? Because the word love, that's what you've made us for, to know you and to love you and to be known and loved by you. Thank you. But the bottom line is you are just so much better. And Lord, thank you that, that you're the light of the world. We just pray, please help us to know you better. Help us to love you more and please would we see, feel and understand the effects of you uh, in our lives this week and going forward. We just praise you for who you are, Lord. And thank you in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.